Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Okay, y'all. Good morning. It's good to see you. And uh, I'll give you a heads up. At yeah, I got some good news for you. At ten twenty-five, I'm out. I'm walking out. Rapture, whatever. I'm walking out because I got to get back to Foster Street to preach ten twenty-five. But it's letting you know that's what's going on. So it'll be good. It's good to see. You. I gave you a lot of notes, and I wasn't going to speak to you this morning on this. But you know what? I'm doing this at Foster Street, and. I just feel like I need to share this one part because to me it's, it's critical with what's going on. Some of you have heard me talk about the temperaments before. Uh, they're mentioned in Proverbs and uh, I'll, hear, I'll talk to you about that. But you know the greatest commandment in the Bible is in Matthew 22 and that's where Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Right? Uh, I cannot love myself until I understand how much God loves me. And I know for me, my whole thing about self-esteem changed when uh, God came into my life. And I realized I'm really somebody. And I'm really phenomenal. And when I understood that, my whole outlook on everything changed. Now, if I place my value in other things before God, it's going to let me down. Like if I place my value in you, you may be great. I'm not saying you're not. You know, there are people who say, man, I need this person. Well, there's one big problem with that phrase. What if that person dies? All of a sudden, you lost your purpose. And that's not too smart. Uh, I can go on on that. won't do that. So I got to love God first. Right? Love God first. Then he says the second commandment is love others as you you love yourself. Now, if I don't love myself, I really can't love you. And a lot of times in society, we got a bunch of people who say, I want you to love me. I want you to care about me. But down deep, they don't even love themselves. So how messed up is this thought? I want you to love me, but I don't love me. So we go... Right off, we're in problems. So I'm going to talk to you now about these temperaments. And the words choleric, phlegmatic, melancholic, and sanguine may not mean that much to you, but they need to mean a whole lot to you. Uh, they're with us. I think Adam and Eve were perfect. In fact, we know that the Bible says that. When sin entered the world, uh, our personality, our whole self-image got messed up. And the biggest hidden truth about a child of God that we do not talk about is their temperament. And we all have a temperament, and it's very important. First things about this is this. No one is a single temperament. You're one of four. You're a combination of two, dominant. I am a choleric, which is bad. Cholerics 
I'm talking about that next week. Cholerics are of the four. They're the roughest. They are like, dear God, help me, Jesus, if you're a choleric. No, if you're married to a choleric. If your dad's a choleric, you better pray they get right with God. I'm a, I'm a choleric melancholic. Uh, your temperament cannot be an excuse for bad behavior. You know, there are the four big boys when it comes to counseling. I've, I've told you this. Whenever you do counseling, under four categories, there's the troubles for all people. Fear, lust, pride, and anger. Those are the four big boys. Whenever you talk to people, I don't care what they're going through, I guarantee it's tied to those four things. Fear, lust, pride, and anger. It just so happens that all four temperaments have a big weakness. When it comes to the sanguine, their weakness is lust. When it comes to a choleric, their weakness is anger. I mean, whoa, it's bad. When it comes to a phlegmatic, their weakness is fear. And when it comes to a melancholic, their weakness is pride. So they're all tied to one another. Uh, why is this important to know? I need to know my temperament because it helped me know the will of God. When I know my temperament, my passion, my talents, I will know God's will. God's not trying to hide his will from you. You know what's sad? It's when a person is 45 years old and they say this, I hate my job. That's not too not good. Somewhere I would say you didn't do something right because you should love what you do. You, that should be your passion, your giftedness, your temperament should flow into that. Second of all, it helps with a stronger marriage. Here's what I've discovered about marriage. Opposites attract before they get married. After they get married, opposites attack. And they really go after each other because what happens when you're, married, when you're dating someone, you see them at their best. And when you get married, you think, wow. I didn't know you were this way. If I would have known you were this, I would have married you. I was, thought I was getting a jekyll, but I got to hide. I mean, I'm really amazed right here. Uh, I got into this, and to be honest with you, I messed up two things in my family, at least two, probably more than two. Now, I'm a, I'm a choleric, and like I said, that's, that's rough. Cholerics, they will tell you if they're mad at you. Someone comes to me and, and they say, and they do this sometimes, and I tell them, oh, you'll know. Charles, if you're ever, if you're ever mad at me, will you let me know? <laughs> no problem. You'll know. Do you know who will, when you don't know, if you're a phlegmatic or a melancholic, you're passive aggressive. You will not say, that made me mad. You just look at me and think, hmm and walk away and hold a grudge. A choleric or a sanguine, they'll lash out pretty quick. Uh, you know, when I marry people now, the number one thing I want to know is this, what's your temperament? Because we can avoid a lot of fights if we know their temperament. I could say a whole lot more about that, but I need to move on. The second thing, the third thing is, knowing your temperament helps me in raising children and grandkids. There's a verse in Proverbs and it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. We have misapplied that verse tragically. We've always taken that verse and we use it to depart like, you know, 
Train up a child in the way of faith, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That sounds good, but that's not what all that verse means. How many of you grew up having to get a switch to go whip yourself with, with your mom? Go get a switch. Well, I got a switch. That phrase, train up a child in the way he should go, that phrase, the way he should go, has the idea of a tree, this is a tree, and the branch in the way it should go. So by looking at this, this part of this stick should go that way, right? Train up a child in the way he should go. Okay, what do I need to know about my kid? I need to know my kid's temperament. How old can I know that? I think between four, ages of four and six, you can figure it out, but that's just my opinion. Uh, so I know a lot of parents, they have low self-esteem, and how many parents do you know where they live their dreams out through their kids. A lot of parents do that. And uh, their kid's not designed to go that way. It could be sports. It could be anything. And so you make your kid do something they're not bent to do. So you take this natural bent that your child has, or you discipline wrong, and I'll tell you about that, and you'll take this bent and you'll make that child go this way. So you're taking this branch and this child should go this way, but because you're selfish and because you're needy and because you got low self-esteem and because you don't know who you are in Christ, you live your dreams through your child and you make your child go this way in the way they're not supposed to go and they keep on going that way and going that way that will finally break. That's why Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, mothers, do not provoke your children to wrath. It's speaking of this verse. You have provoked your child to go against what he's supposed to do, all because you wanted to live your dream through that child. So I need to know my kid's temperament to know how he should go. It also comes to discipline. I think I have it in your notes, and I'm pretty sure I do, where I give a test, and let me just take the second one, all righty. Of these four, it's in your notes, it's about child discipline. Number two, well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Number one is the same one because of time. Number two is a choleric. Number three is a melancholic. And number four is a phlegmatic. Let me read number two. When it comes to discipline, Talking about me. Here's how a choleric rules his household. This one is authority prone. Running the home like a boot camp. The child will know exactly what is expected of him. These people tend to discipline too hard. They're also hard, hard to please and tend to make their children feel inferior or disapproved of. Now when I was raising, well, I'm still raising kids, my grandkids. But when my children were being raised, I was this. I had my house like a boot camp. And my motto was this. I will tell you to come to me one time. If I got to tell you twice, God have mercy. And when I said, Josh, Steph, Caleb, they knew, yeah. And if I had to call their name twice, that was not good. 
Now, was that wrong? Yes. Yes. I'm not condoning what I just, what I just told you. I knew I had to learn this stuff when I would discipline Josh, no problem. I would discipline Steph, no problem. Caleb is a phlegmatic. Now again, a phlegmatic will not look at you and say, no. They'll just look at you and smile. And they just won't do it. And they'll walk away. And of the four, they're the most stubborn. Wouldn't think that. So one morning we're going to go see Carolina play football on Saturday, unexpected. And I said, kids, we're going to play to see Carolina play football. Josh is excited, Steph is excited to go in Caleb's room, which is the most laid back. Phlegmatics are very laid back. Jerns are phlegmatic. In fact, if I'm around you for five minutes, I can tell you what you are. It's important to know what each person are is because you just know, it helps you relate with them. And so, uh, Jern, if he don't want to do something, he won't be belligerent. But he's stubborn in his own way. Now, when it comes to Caleb, I said, Caleb, we're going. He looked at me. He didn't want to go. I left the room and I came back, and he's mad, yelling mad. And I jerked him up. Now, this is all wrong, so don't give me a hateful look. I jerked him up. And I said, you will go. Didn't cry a bit, I thought. Josh cried. Steph cried. You will cry. <laughs> and I thought, it's going to be a tough one. That's okay. I got plenty of hand. <laughs> and I knew this boy's not breaking. And I stopped. And I thought, I said, you need to stop, Charles. And I walked out of his bedroom, and I knew, and I stopped at the top of the steps, and I said, I'm messing him up. Bad. That's where I discovered this stuff. You do not discipline each child the same. You may think you do, but you don't. What works with a choleric child will not work with a phlegmatic child. You want me to prove it? I can very easily. This is why this is important to know. Question. Where do kids get their view of God from? Parents. Correct. So the way your kid views God today, they got from mom and dad. Your back page, right here. Behavior of a parent. Legalistic, harsh, harsh disciplinarian. Misconception about God. God is mad at me. He's very authoritative. He's impersonal, demanding. Uh, 
behavioral parent, a perfectionist. Now, melancholics are perfectionists. Highly, highly extreme goals, little praise or affirmation. Uh, my mom was also a melancholic. And every now and then she would have me make the bed. And Carla did this too. And I'd make the bed and it wasn't right. And they'd come home and they would tear the bed up. You know why? I said, what'd you do that for? I made the bed. And they would say, the corners were not tucked. I thought, who cares? Well, it was not done right. Don't do it at all. And I said, make it yourself, <laughs> right? Here's a, here's a melancholic mom and dad. Hey, mom, dad, I got five A's and one B. A melancholic mom and dad will say, you need all A's. Oh, okay. Hey, mom, dad, I hit three home runs and struck out once. What do you think about that? You need to get four home runs, not strike out. The melancholic will always look for what's wrong. Okay, let's say you raise your child that way. How are they going to view God? God is never satisfied, always disappointed, and always upset with me. Again, I ask you, where do, where do kids get their view of God from? Mom and Dad. That's why the last book is of Malachi. The last verse, chapter of Malachi, chapter 4, the last verse in Malachi, God says, I want to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. The first sermon John the Baptist preached, do you know what he talked about? That verse. Yeah. Yeah. I ask you again, where do your kids, your grandkids, get their concept of God from? They get it from mom and dad. And so mom and dad, if you're not doing it right, Deuteronomy 6 talks about this. I got a book I told you about last week. It's, called, it's by Paul Vitz, V-I-T-Z. It's called Faith of, Faith of the Fatherless. I'll bring it next week and let you see it if you want to take a look at it. It's got, the guy got his PhD at 39 years old or around that age, and he was an atheist. Well, around 39 years old, he became a believer. And so he wrote a book called Faith of the Fatherless. Here's what's amazing. He detailed 3,000 years of atheism. And he's got a document, and I'll show you the book. He's got atheists such as Marx and Hitler. Those names are in there. And all atheists have one thing in common that he discovered. Every famous atheist have one common trait. And the common trait is this. They all hate their fathers. Well, why would that make them not believe in God? You tell me. I'll wait. Anybody want to tell me? They all hate their dad. And since they all hate their dad, what's the common thing's going to happen here? If dad's this way, there, there can't be a God. If God's like my dad, I don't believe in God. 
We'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children to the fathers. Melancholy. Are y'all with me this morning? Well, general observations about now melancholics are incredible. They are. I don't, I'm not trying to, I mean, they're phenomenal. In fact, there are more melancholics in the Bible than any other temperament. Isn't that great news? Uh, of the four, they're the best, hands down. Of the four, Calerics are the worst, hands down. <laughs> uh, I won't hit all this. They, are, they have the highest IQs. They're in the details. They can analyze a problem and pick out everything there is with it. They don't have a large amount of friends, but the friends they do have, man, they, they're close. A sanguine, everybody's their friend until the next person come, comes in the front door. But a melancholic, they may have three or four friends their whole life, but they're friends for life. Uh, that's the good part about a melancholic. The bad part about a melancholic is uh, they're the most self-centered of all the temperaments. Their mindset left to its own can ruin their life. They're easily offended. And they, don't, they don't accept correction well. Why don't they accept correction well? They always think they're right. Me wrong? There's no way I can be wrong. Of all the four temperaments, they're the ones that go into depression quicker than anybody else. And because they got to be perfect, and since they don't have that, it kind of really bothers them. Now, the reason I'm saying this is important to know, listen, I don't care if it's your staff, I don't care if it's who you work with, I don't care if it's your spouse, I don't care if it's your kids, uh, where you go to school. If you know who you're dealing with, you get along a whole lot better and you understand people. Well, anyway, point one, they're in the details. Melancholics love details. Look at Exodus chapter 36, and you talk about details? Now, Moses is a melancholic, and... Uh, Peter was a sanguine. Let's look at this. Exodus 36, go to verse 10. I'm going to read this to you. Now, even when I read this, the insides of me just churn. So Moses says, he joined five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he joined to one another. He made loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. He did likewise on the edge of the curtain of the outermost in the second set. He made 50 loops in one curtain. He made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was in the second set. The loops were opposed to each other. He made 50 clasps of gold and joined the curtains to one another with a clasp so the tabernacle was a unit. He made curtains of goat's hair for the tent over the tabernacle. He made the 11 curtains in all. Stop! When I see that, I just want to say, that's a curtain. But, but melancholics love details. So if I'm going to achieve something bad, do you know who I need at that table? I need a melancholic. Because a choleric can cast a vision, but the choleric cannot make it happen. So the choleric and the sanguine, they can tell you how to get it done, and they'll get people excited. But do you know who will do the detail work and make it happen? The phlegmatics and the melancholics. That's why you need all four at the table. God made us this way. It's good. Now, with each one, there's a flaw, and we know that, and we got to look at that. Uh, they're in the details. 
I got about five minutes. Let me go with this right here. Uh, speaking of me, my temper many times have, has gotten the worst of me. I cannot tell you. Uh, bad. Bad temper. Probably if you're here this morning, you got a bad temper. You're a cleric. Now, that's not an excuse for bad behavior because I'm born again. The Spirit of God lives in me. Amen? So I can overcome that not by my power, but by the Holy Spirit's power. But bad temper. I mean, I got fights at Bible school, of all things. I took a Greek test one day, got the results back, made a 39. That's not good. And I'm looking at my Greek test, and I got my lexicon, and I got my concordance, and I got my Bible, I got all my notes on my desk, and it's hot in that room. And I raised the window up, and my roommate, Dwayne Hodges, who lives in uh, High Point, he said, man, it's, it's cold in here. Did you close that window? I said, man, I'm hot. He said, well, I'm cold. I said, you'll be all right. He said, close the window. I said, no, no. He said, man, you're stupid. I said, and so I closed the window. I let him ride. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm working on this test. He says, what did you make on it? I said, 39. He said, whoa. He said, well, you're kind of dumb, aren't you? I said, really? And it got real hot in there. And I went over to raise the window, and he said, are you stupid or what? Do you know how cold it is in here? Bad temper. I mean, snapped. You show me a person that's got a bad temper, I'll show you a dangerous person. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I was born again. I'm going to heaven. It's going to hard to believe when I, tell you, when I tell you this. Even before thinking, y'all know how thick a concordance is? about that thick of a book. I jerked that book up. And from here to that podium, I dashed over, took that book back, and belted him across the head. His head was like a duck. Dunk, dunk. Just moving like that. Blood came out of his ear. And I said, you call me another name, and there's no telling what I might do. And you better settle down. And I went back to my desk, and I opened my Bible. And I said, where did I mess up on that Greek word? Can I tell you, I prayed for two years, God, 
I got a bad temper, help me. I'm sorry I did it again. 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 Now my flaw is a bad temper. What's yours? But can I tell you something? You can't conquer it. You can't. Well, who can? The Holy Spirit. It says God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Can I just ask you and I a word, just very simply here as we deal with this stuff? This past week, were you in the Word of God? Was I in the Word of God every day in prayer every day? And if we were not, is it because we think, God, I got this day figured out. I don't need you. God, I got plenty of wisdom on this day. I don't need you. God, I got plenty of strength. I don't need to read this Bible. I got plenty of protection. I don't need you. I don't need you, God. See, God told the children of Israel, Deuteronomy 6, I'm going to give you a lot of things. I'm going to give you and give you and give you. But then he said this, look out. Because when you become prosperous and when you think you've made it, you'll have a tendency to forget me and you will no longer seek me as you once did. And the same thing happens to us. The reason we're not in the word is because we're saying, I don't need God. The reason we don't pray is because I don't need God. And when it comes to these temperaments, be it fear, lust, pride, or anger, we can defeat any of them. There's nothing in my life I can defeat. Nothing. It's God through me doing that. It's not in me to love you. It's not in me to forgive you. It's not in me to show you mercy. Charles Moses can do nothing. But God in Charles Moses, the Holy Spirit in Charles Moses, can overcome all things. It's no longer I who lives, but who lives in me? The Holy Spirit lives in me. And so, Lord, I lay myself and I understand this is who I am. And I get to change by your help to God help me. Jerm? My dear, it's good to see Jerm back. Jerm, you take it. Let's uh, let's stand together. A couple things popped in my mind while Charles is preaching. Number one, uh, Greek words really aren't that big of a deal. Um, Amen. Amen. Number two, uh, we need each other. I need you, you need me, we need each other. We are put in this life together for a reason. We are put here with people, with family, with friends for a reason. And that reason is, as Charles said, so we can balance each other out. Because we're all uniquely created by a creator and he made you the way you are on purpose and I need you to fill in my gaps. You need me to fill in your gaps. We're all in this 
together. We are a family, we're a body, we're one in Christ, and we need each other every day. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for our church. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we pray today that over the next seven days, God, over the next week, we pray that you would point out to us, God, I pray you will point out to us, you will show us where we lack. You will show us our faults. You will show us what we're missing. And God, we will depend and look to you to fill those holes, to fill those gaps. God, we confess that we can't do it on our own. God, we believe that there are times in our life where we feel like we're strong enough, or we feel like we're smart enough, or we feel like we're good enough. Lord, we confess today that we are not. God, I know that I can't, but I know who can. God, I pray today that you would give us wisdom, you would give us strength, you would give us hope, you would give us power, you would give us authority to rely on and to trust in you and you alone. God, we love you so much. Again, we thank you for today. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Y'all, it's so good to see you. I'll be back next Sunday. I'll be back right here next Sunday. I hope you are too. 9.30 right here next week. Cool? You're dismissed. I love you.